Wildfires have forced 19,000 people to flee their homes and hotels on the popular Greek holiday island of Rhodes. Authorities say it's the largest evacuation of its kind in the country. That's from the Australian Broadcasting Commission news report, which talks about the wildfires or bushfires on the Greek island of Rhodes, the climate-induced bushfires. Welcome. This is the latest episode of Climate Conversations, and I'm your host, Robert McLean. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton, in northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Now before I go any further, I urge you to follow this podcast, because if you do that, you'll be alerted every time I publish a new episode. Let's listen now to the ABC report in its entirety, and you'll find a link for that in the show notes. Some had to be ferried to safety on private boats, as Bridget Fitzgerald reports. For some island residents, charred remains are all that's left of their homes. My house, cries one woman, we are all together, our heart is here, please save us. Wildfires have been burning on the Greek island of Rhodes for several days as Europe swelters through a heatwave. Thousands of people have been evacuated from homes and hotels. Tourists who'd normally be relaxing on picturesque beaches spent the night on mattresses on the floor of this sports hall. Faye Mortimer and her family spent hours on the beach in extreme heat, waiting to be rescued. It is horrendous. It was absolutely, I've never been so scared my entire life. My uncle especially went running down to the beach. Um, one of the locals who was there had basic swords that we needed to get away from the corner of the situation and obviously we're in our pethkos. And she told us that we were all, you know, we were all going to be doomed. So obviously that obviously put fear into me and then obviously into my daughter as well. She's 15, so she was scared. Um, so yeah, but it's, it has been it's a fine experience and I'm not going to make her lie. It's just nice, obviously, we are safe here now at the moment. Speaking from Rhodes Airport, this tourist, Helen Pickering, says flames were visible from the mountain next to her hotel. Right, that's it, you know, and it was chaos, absolutely. The surges towards, you know, the two or three buses that arrived and everyone screaming and shouting and crying because people couldn't even get on their flights yesterday and were desperate to get home. Greek Fire Department spokesman Yanis Artopios says the Ministry of Foreign Affairs was coordinating with embassies to help those who may have lost travel documents during the evacuation. According to the first estimates of Greek police, the precautionary evacuation involved approximately 19,000 people. 16,000 of them were were transported by land and 3,000 by sea, all while the fire was in full swing. This is the largest undertaking of safe transport of residents and tourists that has ever been carried out in our country. Temperatures have exceeded 40 degrees in many parts of Greece for the past week. There are more than 250 firefighters on the island and 18 aircraft working to set up fire breaks to protect residential areas and dense forest from burning. Let's listen now to the independent member for McKellar, Sophie Scamps as she goes into the transit zone. And you'll find a link for the entire podcast in the show notes. 
You are now entering the transit zone. It just seemed that there was an overwhelming evidence to show that climate change was happening. We could see it happening in front of our eyes as well, yet our government was still sort of bobbing us off with slippery slogans and not acting and muddying the waters of the debate. And so I had this growing angst and growing anxiety and growing frustration. And I think it got to the point where I thought, right, I've I've got to just do something now. And it actually was before the 2019 election. And I thought, well, if if our political leaders are, you know, not doing their duty and they're not, you know, I just felt that there there was an abrogation of the the government's duty to care for and ensure that the population safety and security was foremost and prosperity. So I felt, well, if our leadership is failing us, then I've got to do something myself and we can do that in our community. As mentioned earlier, you'll find a link for that podcast in the show notes. Now we have a story from SBS. Wildfires on Greek island of Rhodes sparks biggest evacuation in country's history. The story begins. A wildfire which has raged on the Greek island of Rhodes for six days forced thousands of tourists and island residents to shelter in schools and indoor stadiums on Sunday after they were evacuated from coastal villages and resorts. A government official told Reuters 19,000 people had been moved from their homes and hotels with a Greek police spokesperson calling it the biggest fire evacuation ever in Greece. Coast Guard vessels and dozens of private boats carried more than 2,000 tourists from beaches on Saturday after the wildfire was fanned by strong winds and rekindled along the southeastern part of Ireland popular for beaches and ancient ruins. Join me now as we listen to something from the Australian Broadcasting Commission about the Antarctica sea ice. The sea ice around Antarctica is constantly transforming. In summer, it melts. In winter, it builds back up again. Scientists describe the process as the Earth's beating heart, one of the largest seasonal cycles on the planet. But the system is failing, and experts say we're now in uncharted waters. Let's go through the graph that has scientists so worried. The straight line is the average sea ice extent around Antarctica through the year. And here's 2016. Something went wrong that year. There was much less sea ice around than usual. 2017 and 2022 also experienced all-time lows in summer. Sea ice has usually bounced back in winter somewhat, but this year it hasn't. Instead, it's falling off a cliff. To put it another way, this is how much sea ice is usually around in mid-July and this is how much was around this year. Is it a one-off or is it the new normal as the climate warms? There are people saying this could be natural variability. Absolutely, we can't conclusively rule it out yet, but it's very unlikely. We know that this is what the world is going to look like as it warms. It may be that next winter it'll come back. We can hope. I don't know that it will. 
So why should we care about sea ice? Well, it's key in regulating the Earth's temperature. It reflects the sun's heat back into space, keeping the sea underneath cool. And the annual cycle of freeze and melt drives global currents that transport nutrient-rich water into the rest of the ocean, feeding ecosystems. The ice is also a habitat for animals like seals and penguins. The thing is, scientists are still unsure about what's driving this trend. Is it a change in the atmosphere, the ocean's temperature, or both? Either way, there are fears a further change in the balance could trigger a tipping point. And after that, it's difficult to reverse the direction. And that would be uh, quite concerning to, to uh, the comfort and the sustainability of human conditions on Earth, I suspect. This is a rare event, an event for once every seven and a half billion years. It's something scientists are now watching with interest. You'll find the link for that story in the show notes. Now we have another story from the Australian Broadcasting Commission and it's by Tyne Logan. The headline for the story is How El Nino Could Affect the Economy and Cost of Living with Upper Pressure on Food Prices. The story begins. A looming El Nino could deal another blow to the hip pocket of Australians, according to analysts, with the potential to further increase food prices and cause fluctuations in the demand for commodities. A major climate driver is well known for its impact on weather patterns across the globe, bringing hotter, drier weather to Australia, Indonesia and Southeast Asia, a wetter than normal conditions to the southern United States and parts of South America. But researchers found the natural phenomena could also have strong economic repercussions. A peer-reviewed paper published in May in the Journal of Science found past events that caused trillions of dollars in lost income worldwide with the financial toll persisting for years. So how could it impact Australia? Join me now as we listen to Associate Professor Sarah Perkins Kirkpatrick talk about cold fronts and how they impact on bushfires. She is in conversation with ABC weatherman Nat Byrne. They're actually really important in summer. Um, a lot of people think, and they do bring some reprieve when we've had a really bad heat wave, but I think a lot of people think that directly after a bushfire, it's, it's a welcome change, so to say. It brings that nice cool weather that we all desperately crave. But what actually happens is when a cold front comes and the heat breaks, it actually makes the fire behaviour really unpredictable. So the, the wind may, can mean a change in direction, but also immediately before the cold front, it can be a very gusty warm wind. And that's exceptionally bad for bushfires because they're already quite hot, conditions are already quite dry, and it makes them just that much more unpredictable and so much harder to, to, to battle the fire and bring it under control. These wind changes, I know we watch them very closely because often we go from northerly or northwesterly winds and it whips around in just a matter of minutes in some cases to yep. southwesterly winds, completely changing the fire front. But there's more that goes on with these as well, right? There's, there's uplift in the atmosphere happening at the same time. Yeah, that's right. So it makes it can make the, the whole weather system extremely unpredictable. And what this study actually shown was there could be a relationship with those really intense firestorms that, that we're starting to see more and more often. 
Um, so they're called pyrocumulonimbus storms and that's when the, the fire system actually interacts with the atmosphere and creates its own, own thunderstorm effectively and it can increase fire behaviour further ahead of the fire front as well. So it's not just the wind change that can be the issue, but it's actually creating these massive, really bad firestorms. And we saw a lot more of these during the black summer. Um, and what we're showing is they could be related to the instability caused by some of these cold fronts that are coming through. So is this something we should be watching a lot more closely? I mean, we already discussed, you know, when these fronts come through, how they're affecting fire changes. But, but you're suggesting that maybe they are even more important than we realised. Yep, definitely. So this research showed that we've actually seen an increase in the frequency and severity of these intense cold fronts, particularly over southeast Australia, and especially we, we saw the highest intensity in changes over Victoria. And this change was detect detected over the last 70 years. So this change is quite significant and it's really starting to emerge uh, beyond what we would have expect or what we would expect uh, if we just lived in a natural climate that wasn't affected by climate change. So this, this, this change is significant. It's pointing towards the chance that they could become more intense and continue to increase in the future. We're a little unsure yet about by how much these cold fronts could change, but certainly in the background, or on top of the background climate warming that we're seeing due to climate change, it's making fire conditions that much worse because we're seeing the interaction with large-scale climate change and what happens locally due to our local weather. What could this spell in the, well, let's say the year ahead in particular? I know uh, that the Bureau of Meteorology is pre pretty much the only agency now not going with an El Nino just yet. So all signs are pointing in that direction. Uh, 2019, 2020, we weren't in an El Nino year officially either. We were sort of skirting the edge of it. But for this season ahead, what are you thinking about when it comes to bushfire activity? Yeah, look, we're, we're, we're definitely at a much higher risk than what we were over the last few years during La Nina, and we've had that the last three summers, as you well know. There's you know, a much reduced chance of bushfire risk, especially in, over the eastern part of Australia, simply because it's wet and it's a lot cooler. So the conditions aren't really prime for bushfire weather. But one thing's for certain, we are definitely not going into a La Nina summer this year, regardless of whether or not an El Nino builds. And on top of that, even though the Bureau of Meteorology hasn't officially declared a, a, an El Nino, they're, really, they're, they're still forecasting this hot and dry start to, to spring and pro, po, uh, possibly leading into summer as well. And with those hot and dry conditions does come the increased chance of bushfire risk. And we've got to remember, with all the rain that we had during La Nina, there's a lot of fuel out there now. Mm. So, there, there is certainly a heightened chance in bushfire risk uh, heading into this season. Um, and of course, when we get those cold fronts that do break that lovely hot weather, they do bring that extra risk. So there's certainly, you know, yeah, compared to the last few years, we need to be on the watch more than, than what we have been. Next, we have a story from the Sydney Morning Herald and it's by Mike Foley. The headline for the story is, The Missing Factor Preventing the Bomb from Declaring an El Nino Event. The story begins, the Bureau of Meteorology has become an outlier among global weather agencies by refusing to declare an El Nino event, despite record-breaking heatwaves torching long-standing temperature records around the world. El Ninos don't hit maximum power until ocean and atmospheric conditions occur simultaneously to deliver the twin-dreaded effects of the infamous weather system, high temperatures coupled with prolonged dry periods. 
Yes, we've reached the end of this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. It's just wonderful to have you around. Now, I'd love to hear from you what you think about this podcast, what I should be doing more of, what I should be talk- who I should be talking to, why I should be talking to them. So please email me at r.mclean, the number seven, at iCloud.com. And please follow this podcast, because if you do that, you'll be alerted every time I publish a new episode. And if you enjoyed this episode, and I really hope you did, please share it with a friend. In fact, I'd love you to share it with a friend because we all need to know all we possibly can about the climate crisis. So until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Now again, please take care.